tune head all day. Doesn't that make you want to meet those people? They're real people in our body. Amen. Wow, I'm just so overwhelmed by the beauty of what was happening during the worship this morning. How about you? Luke, I just want to tell you, I hope you're okay with me calling you out, because <laughs> I am, that the tangible rejoicing around you when you came forward to return to the Lord, it was so tangible. I could almost see angels dancing around you. And that's what the word says. When one comes to the Lord, there is rejoicing in heaven. And I just want to, I want us to get a hold of the kinds of things God is doing as we worship. It matters. Your worship matters. Worshiping together matters. And I'm so blessed to be part of this body that we value worship and with the same vigor that we value worship my prayer today if you would join me in praying lord is that we would value your word with the same vigor that we worship we would press in to your words of life lord i ask that there would be power like we just experienced in these next few moments as we focus together on what's available to us in your word in jesus name as many of you know, we are in the book of Ephesians, and we're nearing the end, but I still want to encourage you to read the whole thing. It only takes about 20 minutes to read the whole book, and it's important now that we're near the end that you read the beginning, too, because the first three chapters of Ephesians are actually a telling, a declaring of what's been made available to us in Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians you might call doctrine, truths, and even the verb usage in the first three chapters is telling. It's, it's uh, instructive, and it's important that we read those first, and then we read the last three chapters, which are commands in how to live because we know what we've read in the first three chapters is true. And isn't that real Christianity? Real Christianity is what Christ has done for me, producing a lifestyle of obedience. I need the truth, I need the doctrine settled in my heart so that I will obey with joy. So let's look at this Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Paul is painting a picture here of the armor that is spiritually available to us as the people of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, 
having belted your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. The title this morning for our message is Ready to Stand. Did you hear in that passage how many times Paul said, Stand, stand firm, stay steady. And in verse 10 and 11, right at the beginning of this passage, we're hit with two instructions. You be strong. Literally, that word strong means to be empowered. In fact, this is really interesting. I'm going to geek out for a minute. But when you look at the verb tense of the word be, it's actually passive, meaning an action that's happening to you. So you be empowered by him. And then in verse 11, you put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm. This is an imperative verb written as a command you have to do. First, you be empowered by him. Now you have to do something in response to that. You have to put on. You have to take up. It's your personal choice. The armor of God is not spiritual gifts that are given. The armor of God is something that you pick up and put on so you can stand firm. They are merely tools for resisting the enemy, not something that automatically plops into your hand. Okay, so we are making the choice this morning that we will be vigilant, that we will be purposeful, that we will be aggressive in our pursuit of having put this on. Raise your hand if you agree to that. I commit to that. I'm going to be purposeful. Verse 13 says this, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist and having done everything to stand firm so that you will be able to resist what? Evil. What does that word evil mean? It actually means full of labors, full of pressing, full of annoyances, full of hardships. So I'm going to read you that fully defined version of verse 13 from the Greek. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to withstand in those days full of labors and annoyances and pressures and hardships. Right, Tyler? Those days when you just happen to be hit by a car. And having taken up the armor to stand firm, to stay established and immovable. This is what the armor of God is about. It's about my mind being steadfast and fixed in the authority of what I've been given. There's a real struggle. There's a real struggle in the unseen spiritual realm, and we need to recognize that. Paul would not have listed four different versions of evil if it wasn't a real struggle. Rulers, powers, dark world forces, and evil spirits. These are ranks in the, enemy of, in the enemy's army, just like there are angelic ranks in the Lord's army. And what Paul is doing is he's making it plain. He's saying, wake up. 
to this real thing that's happening around you all the time. But it's important that we declare this good news. Jesus said to his disciples, preparing them for after he would have ascended, in the world, you're going to have trouble. And that word trouble is similar to this word evil. You're going to have hardships. You're going to have pressing. You're going to have annoyances. And what does he tell them to do? He says, take heart, which means take courage. You take it, for I have overcome the world. Wow, what, we need that word when we're talking about the armor of God and resisting the enemy. We need that posture. Wait a minute, why do I need armor if Jesus has already won the victory? If the, the enemy has already been overcome in Colossians 2, it says he disarmed the powers. And he made a public spectacle of these four categories when he died on the cross. Why do I need this armor? I'm going to tell you, you need this armor because one of the enemy's favorite things is a child of God who doesn't know the victory has been won. And he will be standing there waiting for you to live defeated so that he can come in and whisper. He's waiting for that. So are you ready to live in the victory, to stand firm, to take courage? Here's the solution. God invites you to put on his armor. The armor of God is actually possessive. It's something that he has, that he wears. And perhaps the believers in Ephesus would have known something that's not really obvious to us. Paul is actually referring to prophetic passages in the Old Testament that paint a picture of our Messiah King in armor as a warrior. This is so amazing to me. Paul probably knew the Ephesians would put this together, but we have to kind of dig deep to find this. In Isaiah 11:5, it talks about the belt of truth on our Messiah King. Look at this. I just put a few verses up there. Verse 2 of 11. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Also, righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. And in the Greek Old Testament, the word faithfulness is translated truth, which ends up being the same word used in Ephesians 6 for the belt of truth. Our God wears truth around his waist. God also wears a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. If you look in Isaiah 59, verse 17, it says, He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a cloak. Our God wears armor. I want that belt. I want that breastplate and that helmet. The other, the other three are not as parallel. They're not as plain, but it's worth mentioning. The sword of the Spirit in Isaiah 49 it's describing the coming of the Messiah, and it says, He, the Lord, made my mouth like a sharp sword. And we see that picture again in the end of the Bible. The sword of the Lord coming out of his mouth. The shield of faith, if you look all through the Psalms, I didn't list 
them all because you can do a word study on that. The Lord is described as being our shield. And then the shoes. Some think that the description in Isaiah 52, 7 of those feet that bring good news, that those are describing the feet of our Messiah. But isn't it remarkable that the armor we see listed in Ephesians 6 corresponds to armor our God wears? That's remarkable. That means that when I'm putting it on, I'm suiting up with what he wears, who he is. So if God wears truth, if God wears righteousness and salvation as body armor, if he wields the sword of the Spirit out of his mouth naturally, then that's what I want. I want to do the same. And this goes perfectly with Paul's encouragement to the Romans in Romans chapter 13. Look at this. Verse 12. Let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Do you want to be clothed in the light of God? Verse 13, let's behave properly as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and debauchery, not in strife and jealousy, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. We are putting him on. The New Living Translation says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an armor of light. It's the very armor he wears, and he's inviting you to be clothed in that. Even though Roman armor might be a foreign idea to us, Paul would have been constantly seeing it. The, the Ephesians would have constantly seen the Roman soldiers. And some people think that it, since Paul was under house arrest, he may have even been chained to a Roman soldier at the time of writing this letter. So his, from his knowledge, from Paul's knowledge of the purpose of each piece, he skillfully writes this in Ephesians 6. And I'm going to get to, hopefully I'm going to get to three pieces of the armor today. We'll see. Derek's going to continue next week. Starting in verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth. Now, Paul would have known to list the belt first, and here's why. Because in Roman armor, and I have a picture of the belt, actually the thickness of that belt is probably not right. From, from what I've read, it would have been a four to six inch wide strap of leather that would have girded the loins. We don't use the word loins, but I should use the word loins because it's awesome. It's back here. It's between the end of your ribs and the beginning of your hips. I needed this belt when I played racquetball with Nate. Gird your loins with truth. This would have been the central hanging place. This is why we start with the belt. Some historians thought that maybe it even supported the weight of the breastplate. That's powerful for what we're going to talk about. The belt of truth even held the sword in ready position for the soldier. We need the truth first. We need to start our day with truth. It's essential to every soldier. We need to stop beginning our day with our smartphone. Let's be practical. Let's put this in our day. 
We need to begin our day at the first thing we put on is the knowledge that none of my other spiritual tools will work today without the truth of God being closest to me. Nothing else will work today if this isn't what I put on first. And we are being challenged in this day to take off this belt. This belt is offensive. This belt is seen as harmful to society. Why? Because many in our day believe that absolute truth is a joke. If you would just set down that thing that you call absolute truth, Christians, we'd all be able to get along and you'd come across as less intimidating and close-minded. Have you heard that one? It's interesting that in 2 Thessalonians, one of the descriptions of those who will be deceived in the last days are those who refuse to love the truth. Do you love the truth? It's important that you do because our enemy is described by Jesus as the father of lies. In Revelation 12, it calls he's called the ancient serpent, the deceiver of the whole world. This is our enemy. So how do you stand against a supernatural deceiver? You put this belt on as your anchor. So what does it look like to put it on? It's very clear in Ephesians 4, verse 21. Rid yourself of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Skip to verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which is the likeness of God. In the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Sounds like armor to me. In Christ, I have been made holy and true. Is that uncomfortable for you to say? That you are holy? You are holy and true. If you are living like this describes, ridding yourself of the old, putting on the new, which is in the likeness of him. It looks like light. It looks like armor. What does walking in truth look like? Well, Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is a person. Say, truth is a person. Truth is a person. You cannot know truth apart from knowing Jesus. And also Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So first, we must know Jesus. Second, we must eat his written word. Consume it. If this is how you define walking in truth, you haven't put on your belt, okay? Reading a few passages out of the word that you need to justify what you believe. Reading a few articles online that are really snarky to help you justify what you believe. And then putting someone in their place because you love the truth. Calling somebody after the sermon because you hope they heard it and you hope it's confronting their heart issues. That is not a love of the truth. That is truth 
without the person of Jesus. You have no relationship with the one. That is actually relationship with the spirit of religion. And you need deliverance. I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm saying your God is not a spirit of religion. Your God is not truth. Your God is Jesus who happens to be truth. If you're not on an everyday basis renewing your mind and putting on that new self, talking to the Lord as you read his word, not reading it so you can get ammunition, talking to him as you read, wearing his belt, it's a weapon that the Holy Spirit uses to defeat error in my life. My life. And the enemy's lies should be so obvious to us if we're wearing this belt. Amen. Second, the breastplate. Verse 14 says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is the piece of the soldier's armor that protects the vital organs. Some think that the Roman armor would have, would have weighed about 70 pounds. And the bulk of the weight would have been in this breastplate, resting on the shoulders if it weren't for the belt. The righteousness of God is protection for your heart, but it's heavy without his truth seated deeply in you. It needs to be intact daily, especially when the accuser comes to you and says, remember that time you failed? Listen to this person that is telling you all these things you've done wrong. Remember that failure? Remember that failure? Remember that failure? This breastplate is what protects you from the accuser. What does it look like to put it on? First, my belt is intact, truth, so that I'm not carrying or basing my righteousness on my attempts to please God. And if that resonates with you, get into the book of Romans chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, and that will give you ammunition in your belt to resist the accuser. The breastplate keeps us from an inflated view of our sin, meaning I am more focused on my failure and my sin. I'm more conscious of it than of the grace that's offered to me in Christ's final, complete work. I am walking with this breastplate on in a position of righteousness first. So I've got that settled. But when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that doesn't conflict with my positional righteousness because of what he's done. That is practical agreement with his righteousness. So blessed are you who hunger and thirst to live like him, to look like him. Romans 6 says, stop presenting your members to sins of, to, stop presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That means my eyes, my ears, my, my eye gate, my, my hands, I am presenting them as tools of righteousness. That I don't get caught off guard that I did something that I'd already decided not to do. I believe that the breastplate of righteousness is a sharpening for your mind 
before you've done the thing that you don't want to do, before you've blown up, before you've said the thing that doesn't agree with who you say that you are, you've stopped and put on your breastplate and gone, why do I want to do that, Lord? Why do I want to look at that? You examine your heart. Your heart is being protected. You spend time communing with the one who wears righteousness. Why do I want to do these things, Lord? And I make the choice to live by the Spirit, like Paul talks about in Romans 8, and to put to death the deeds of the flesh. That is putting on the breastplate. Lastly, the shoes of peace, verse 15, and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, the New Living Translation says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. That word preparation, it implies being ready, being constantly vigil. I am aware. I am not found sleeping in my spirit. Show that picture of the shoes. These, it's interesting to me that part of Rome's military success, I've been studying it this week. I'm really not a Roman history person. Nate is, but, but this, it's interesting that part of Rome's military success actually had to do with their cutting edge footwear. Go find those. A warfare tactic of that day was to bury these large spikes in the ground to rip through the feet of the approaching army. And because the Romans had thick soles with these studded pieces, their feet were protected beyond the feet, beyond the footwear of the opposing army. Isn't that interesting? So when Paul would have known this was the kind of footwear he was talking about. It's firm. It's solid. Your feet are protected with the readiness of the gospel. We are making ourselves ready for something. In Paul's day, when an official of importance was coming to town, the town would have days of preparation a time of preparation, and everyone would gather together to fix what's broken, to clean up, to make the town presentable for the high-ranking official who was coming. And our high-ranking official is coming. Christ, our high-ranking official, our high priest is coming, and we are to be busying ourselves. We don't like the word busy, but I'm sorry. We are to be vigilant. We are to be busying ourselves in preparation to usher in the gospel of peace, preaching the message of the kingdom with how we live our lives. So how do we put on the shoes of peace? We are not standing still spiritually. We are on the move with the gospel. We are preparing for our high priest. We are busy doing what God has called us to do. Idleness and laziness and lack of purpose will open you to temptation. You're a sitting target if you're idle. Be busy doing what God has called you to do. And here's the formula for putting on his peace, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. 
Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the result? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. There will be stability. I want you to get into this passage this week in Philippians 4. The formula for the shoes of peace. Rejoicing having a gentle spirit that's known to the people that know you. That word gentle means reasonable. You're a reasonable person. You're one who submits to those around you. You're not anxious. You're a person of prayer. And this kind of peace will mark you. You will stand out in your workplace. You now are a person filled with hope. What do you have that I need? You are marked by his peace, and people will ask you, why are you okay when I'm not? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. If they're not seeing hope, you're not wearing these shoes. If they're not seeing his peace and your gentle spirit, you're not wearing these shoes. If they are seeing anxiousness that matches their level of anxiousness, you are not wearing these shoes. Sometimes the Holy Spirit reminds me gently in the morning, is it going to be an armor day for you? Or is it going to be one of those days that you wished you had had it on? Would you stand with me? Paul is such a good teacher this is such a memorable formula for what we should do in the morning. And I want to invite you into this for the next two weeks. With me, in the mornings, would you open up Ephesians chapter 6 and purposefully put this armor on. You are reminding yourself of the righteousness that's made available to you, of the truth that you can wear of the gospel of peace, that you would be ready to speak it. So for the next two weeks, I want to invite you to join me in that. I want to invite the, the ministry team to come forward, anyone on the ministry team and the elders to come forward to prepare. What I felt like the Lord said today is that there would be people in here who really want this but don't know what it can look like for them. Maybe you've been caught in the swirl of a lack of peace. Maybe you are so overwhelmed with accusation all the time. That's what you hear the loudest. You feel accused all the time. Maybe you've been confused. I don't know what truth is. I'm so confused in this day at what's true. I want to invite you to come forward and get prayer it's important that we stand with brothers and sisters to be strengthened. They can't put the armor on you, but they can pray with you. They can fight the good fight of faith with you, which we're going to talk about next week. They can support you in your faith walk. So if you need support in truth, in righteousness, in peace, I want to invite you to come up and get prayer. 
Second, if you need physical healing in your body, Jesus offers physical healing. His blood was uh, enough for you to be healed. We believe here at Dayspring in the complete work of the cross that his salvation is not just for our hearts and our minds. His salvation is also for the healing of our bodies. And we want to contend with you for your healing today. So come up. If you need prayer at all, I want to invite you to come. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would make this real to us this week. We thank you that you won the war. We ask that we would live like those who know you have disarmed the enemy. In Jesus' name. So come. The rest of us, as we're in our seats, you need, if you need to go get your children, go get your children. But I would invite you to stay in this atmosphere of ministry that you would also, that you would just be praying over the people who are coming forward. That you would stay in that atmosphere, in your heart, stay focused. If you need to go get your kids, go get your kids. We are so thankful that you've come and joined us this morning. Be blessed this week, in Jesus' name.